Hi, friends. Welcome to Unyielding, a podcast for Pathways to Hope Network. Our goal for this podcast is to connect with mothers of children facing the juvenile court system. We want to use this platform to give a voice to the challenges you're facing while you're learning to navigate the sometimes scary and uncertain world we enter when our child has been charged with a crime. For the next 30 or so minutes, we hope that you will feel seen and cared for. We hope that you are reminded of your value and that you leave a little stronger than you arrived. We hope you are reminded that you have sisters out here who silently walk beside you in solidarity. Most importantly though, we hope to honor the always beautiful, often heart-wrenching, unyielding love that a mother has for her child. Welcome back, friends. This is part two of my conversation with Jim Ladd. Jim is a dear friend and has been kind enough to come on the show to offer us his perspective as a pastor, friend, husband, and father of five. I truly believe that there is nothing more valuable in this experience that we can receive than different perspectives. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but I think the more we can challenge our natural way of thinking, the more our minds are opened up to the idea of doing things differently. And sometimes doing things differently can be the very thing that changes us for the better. So thank you again, Jim, for agreeing to come on the show and share your perspective with us. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm honored. Now, for those of you who haven't heard our last podcast episode, which was part one of this two-part series, you are definitely going to want to check that out. In that episode, we talked about how parents get out of the cycle of reactivity when they're having trouble processing feelings of anger, disappointment, and resentment, and why it's so important. Jim had some great insight on the topic, and it was probably one of my favorite conversations with him, so be sure to circle back and give that a listen if you haven't yet. For today's episode, we're going to dive into the difference between protecting our children and equipping them. Jim, you and I have had this conversation before, and it was so impactful that I just knew our community needed to hear your thoughts on this. In fact, I'll be transparent and say that my reason for choosing this topic is because I recognize that having a recording of this conversation that I can refer back to again (laughs) was just too good to pass up. So this is something I struggle with. And I kind of feel like this is turning into my own little coaching session, but I know that others (laughs) will benefit from it also. My default reaction to anything unsettling when it comes to my kids is to focus all of my energy on trying to create an environment that is void of any challenges that they may face. So let me give you an example. I have in this home of mine, every parental firewall blocker monitor that I could possibly (laughs) upload to help protect my child um, from Uh, being able to access pornography on their computer. In this ministry and in life in general, I've seen the damage that pornography can have on young boys and even grown men for that matter. And so there's this part of me that thinks If I can protect them from it now, then I can save them from that struggle later. The problem is Uh they Uh aren't always under this roof with that device. And so when they're in a situation that's outside of this bubble of protection that I've created, then I'm a mess. 
I worry about that or any other system of protection that I've created the moment they're outside the boundary of it. And this is something I see over and over again with moms who have children that are struggling. They focus all their time and attention on protecting, and I'm doing air quotes um, around the word protecting. They're protecting their child by trying to control the world around their child, whether that's who their child hangs out with, whether that's putting GPS trackers in their vehicle, searching their browsing histories. I mean, I could go on and on. But the bottom line is, is that we become experts in trying to manage our child's environment, making ourselves crazy in the process, and it doesn't work. So why do you think we so easily get sucked into going through such extreme measures of protection? Well, the motives are good. I mean, you want your kid to avoid all the unnecessary heartache they possibly can. And you know the damage of what they might dabble in. And so you want to protect them. You don't want them to hurt. You don't want them to make bad decisions. You don't want them to have scar tissue. You don't want them to ruin something in their life. And so it's the motive is good. The strategy, however, is the worst. And I know this because it was my strategy. I wanted my kids to never hurt. I wanted them to never lose. And here's one simple fact. We grow through stress. Yeah. Our bones grow through stress. Our bodies grow through stress. We become strong through stress. Uh, We become emotionally tough through stress. If you're effective as a parent at eliminating all trial and stress and failure, you have created the weakest human being you could possibly create. Oh man. So it is, it is a horrible parenting strategy. Uh, we have a Christian school that sounds so harsh, Angie. I, I say it harshly because uh, I lived <laughs> I it. it. It is, it is, it is one of my biggest regrets as a parent. Yeah. So uh, we have a Christian school and because of our five kids, we have, we have put our kids, education is in a crisis right now. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the ways uh, as our other extracurricular things, sports and whatever, you know, this protection mode uh, cover, colors every arena of life. Right. And so, uh, with our five kids, we have homeschooled, we have public schooled, we have charter schooled, we have Christian schooled in two different philosophy of Christian schools. Mm -hmm. We've done it all. Mm -hmm. And, um, I have encountered now at our church, you know, I pastor a church that has a school. And when you get around families that homeschool or private school, their kids, um, there's two kinds. There are the kinds who homeschool or private school their kid to protect them from the big, bad world. Yeah. And those are really hard parents to deal with if you run a school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other parents, uh, and this was our strategy, we homeschool or private school them to prepare our kids to be world changers. Yeah. So you're either going to homeschool them, for example, to equip them, or you're going to homeschool them to shelter them. And the shelter strategy is a horrific idea, but the equipping, the preparing for greatness, that's genius. Yeah. Yeah. What, what message do you think our kids receive when, um, just growing up and, and into their adulthood (laughs) when we operate entirely in protection mode? (laughs) Well, the only message they receive is you must think I am the least competent human being (laughs) on the planet that I can't 
nurture myself. I can't manage a cell phone. I can't manage the internet. I, I'm surprised you think I can walk on two feet and get out to the car. Oh, uh, all it does is scream, you are not capable. Yeah. Okay. Well, that sets us up perfectly for the next question, <laughs> which is, can you explain the difference between protecting and equipping to our audience? Yeah. You know, one of the sayings is you can, you can give a man a fish and feed him for a day, or you can teach him how to fish and feed him for a lifetime. So uh, maybe one of the gauges is, am I blocking something? Or am I helping my child be strong enough to handle something? Yeah. And it doesn't mean that you shouldn't ever block a threat. There are threats that need to be blocked. Mm-hmm. Having filters on your home Wi-Fi is not a bad idea at all. Uh, so uh, reducing risk is a good thing. But the idea of protecting them, you know, bubble wrapping them, putting a cone of silence from get smart around them, you know, where they just cannot be affected is, is just, it's just, it's, it's terribly non-developmental. So that's one of the things uh, that I use as a gauge is, is the decision I'm making a developmental one, or is it a, uh, is it a blocking one? So if what I'm going to do simply blocks, but does not grow the kid, then it's a protecting decision. If it both, if it both uh, reduces risks and equips, it develops them into a stronger person, a better person. It gives them a tool in their toolbox they can now use. Now that's developmental, and and that's a better plan. So in some ways, you know, when I when I pastored in Denver, we went into the inner city and we adopted this neighborhood. And one of the first things we did was around Christmas time. So we opened a Christmas store in this neighborhood and we gave every parent that came in there like $500 of monopoly money and they could spend the $500 on Christmas gifts for their kids. And we Mm -hmm. had, man, we had Xboxes and we had toys and we had, and, and it didn't cost them a thing. Yeah. And so we were brand new to the nonprofit world and caring for the marginally poor, et cetera. And at the end of that Christmas season, all the other nonprofits in that area pulled me aside and said, Hey, that's the worst thing you could ever do. It's a terrible idea. Oh no. Because why? It, it, it doesn't build dignity and pride. Mm. So what we did the next year is we made a 10 to one exchange. So for $10, we'd give you a hundred dollars. And for $50, we'd give you 500. Then you go in there and shop at retail prices. And then what that parent can say to that kid, I bought your Christmas gifts. And maybe they had to give up smoking for the month of December to be able to have that money, or they didn't do something. They, they made a sacrifice to come up with the $50 to turn it into 500, but they created a plan. They worked the plan. They did the shopping, they wrapped the gifts and they gave it to their kids. The worst thing you can do to a a person of poverty is have a nonprofit supply their kids. And the kid knows the church came in and took care of us because my parents couldn't. Yeah. So to add dignity, to add, uh, you know, pride, this is what drives me crazy about, you know, all the, all the non-developmental responses to homelessness, you know, everyone can carry some load. If you believe someone is so incapable that they can't make even a fundamental decision, then you need to put them in 
uh, residential care. Uh, and if they don't belong in residential care, that means they can do something for themselves mm-hmm. and it's dignity to ask them to. Yeah. So how does that look? Like, can you give an example of, of a scenario, um, and how you would handle it? Like kind of showing it both ways, what protection would look like and what equipping would look like. Yeah, this there, man, there's a million of them. So, um, a kid gets a D on a paper and they believe that, uh, the assignment was unclear and they want you to talk to the teacher. Uh, no, I won't talk to the teacher. I will equip you to have that conversation mm-hmm. and let's practice. I'll pretend to be the teacher, but you're going to have the conversation. I'm not yeah. going to fight the fight for you, but I will equip you to go have the fight. Playing time with a coach in an athletic sport, getting fired from a job. I cannot tell you how many times I've had a parent call me because I fired a kid and they want to uh, convince me to hire that kid back and they want an explanation why their kid was fired. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, you know, because I'm not a nice person, I have a little fun with that conversation. And I say, Hey, uh, I wasn't writing the check to you. This is not your conversation. If you want to know, talk to your kid. Uh, so, uh, those are, those are examples of wanting to run in front of them, wanting to throw your body in front of their damage. Another one is consequences. If, uh, if a kid, uh, misses school, because they went out and smoked weed with buddies. And then you write a sick note uh, so that they don't, ha- so they can retake a test that they just a- abandoned. This mm-hmm. is a classic example. A kid skips school, misses an exam, and the teacher will not reschedule the exam and give them another try unless they have a, a note. Mm-hmm. Are you going to write the note or you're not going to write the note? Mm-hmm. If you write yeah. the note, you are teaching that kid that you can cut corners and somebody else is going to solve your problem. Yeah. And it's a, it's a terrible life skill. So these are the kinds of everyday temptations that hit us. Um, there's a, there's a book called, uh, parenting with love and logic that is Mm -hmm. really, really good about this, that you, you keep the consequences, the consequences of a decision need to impact the one who made the decision. Right. And so, um, protecting them from consequences is a really bad strategy. Okay. So what would be a good way for someone to recognize when they're headed down that rabbit hole of protection and what's one thing that they could do that would help them in making a course correction. So you talked about when you're beginning to take on the responsibility of somebody else's actions. Um, Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I think the question I would use to help me guide in real time is, could my kid do this without me? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then they should. Why would you ever do something for someone that they're really capable of doing themselves? Yeah. Even if they don't think they're capable, but you know, they are. So that would be one way to pause for a second and say, could they do this? And not, could they do it really, really well, but could they do it? Mm-hmm. They probably can't do it as good as you can, but they, they need to do it. And they'll never be able to do it as good as you can until they learn to do it. Yeah. So um, I feel like I got lost on your question, but that was the first thing that came to my mind is if you do something for someone that they can do themselves, it's not a good idea unless they have nine things to do and they haven't wasted their time. Okay. Like, you know, one of my sayings, my kids mock me about is if you wait to the last minute, it only takes a minute. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, but if you wait to the last minute and you got nine things to do, you don't have nine minutes, you've got one minute. Right. 
And so do you rescue them from that? They've procrastinated. They've delayed. Uh, no, you do not rescue. They must feel the weight of the decisions that they have made. Uh, and so protecting them from a self-inflicted uh, consequence is, a, is just not good. It's not helpful. Right. Yeah. So even asking that yourself that question, like, will my child receive some type of message for this behavior if I don't intervene? And then if the answer is yes, then is that a worthy lesson of learning for my child? Mm -hmm. And yeah. And conversely, what lesson will they learn if you do intervene? What message are they hearing if you do intervene? What is that message? As honestly as you can tell yourself, you know, what's the message they're going to hear if I, if I jump in here and what's the message they're going to hear if I don't, they will tell you the message they hear. If you don't is you don't love me. Right. But that's because it's an immature reaction to their, to their anxiety. Right. But that doesn't mean you should, because that's not what love is. Love doesn't debilitate. Love believes that's one of the, you know, first Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. And a really cool thing to do there is to replace the word love or it when it's talking about love with the words, my father. Hmm. So my father is patient. My father is kind. My father may, keeps no record of wrongs. My father is not jealous. Mm-hmm. My father, you know, and, and, and if you can put yourself in there as the mom of your kid, yeah. uh, I, I love, I am patient. Mm -hmm. I am kind. Mm -hmm. I keep no record of wrongs. You know, this is really a good guide, but nowhere in there does it say love rescues, love, uh, (laughs) (laughs) love removes personal responsibility. (laughs) Oh, that's so true. I, I don't know. I'm making a generalization when I say this, but I think moms struggle with this more than dads do. And I don't know if that's just comes from having, you know, like being responsible and this deep connection to this child, like throughout, but I find myself even in the smallest, in the very smallest ways that I, that I do that with my children, you know, like if my son's um, working on something and I feel like, like, Oh, that could be a little bit better kind of coming in and being like, here, let me show you how to, you know, do ABC. And I never really stop my intent. My purpose is to help, but I never really stop to think about what that communicates to my child that whatever they're doing wasn't good enough. I can't even imagine what it's like to have a child grow in your womb and you carry that thing for nine months. And then you go through the agony of birth and hold that child in your arms. There's something there that no man can ever understand. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that explains what you're describing. And I don't think men are virtuous in their ability to do this better. I think they're mean. So men usually hold the kid accountable because they're mad at the kid, not because it's necessarily the right thing to do. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, I I think it can be confusing. Now I'm going to make a recommendation here that I probably will regret. Um, So (laughs) if this turns out to be a terrible recommendation, anyone who follows this up, forgive me. Uh, There's a show called Yellowstone. And in Mm -hmm. season four of Yellowstone, this character named Rip uh, has a kid move into his home. And this kid uh, is, he's, he's trouble. He's, he's parentless. He's orphaned somehow. And I think he's like 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. And watching how Rip turns that kid into a man is really powerful. 
and you watch uh, Rip's wife try to baby him. Mm -hmm. And it is a stark, there's like a three episode run where it is a really stark contrast of what we're talking about right here. Yeah. 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 I've seen that. It is, um, it is, it's, that struck me also. And really like, as, (laughs) as a mom watching it, I was like, but he's sleeping in the barn. <laughs> like, is that? <laughs> but yeah, um, and and I and I think that a lot of us that we can see that, uh-huh. you know, but we just get in our own ways sometimes. I I don't know. I ha- I have those conversations with my husband, you know, where we'll be talking about something, and I'll say I'm thinking about doing this, you know, whatever it is, and he's like. <laughs> are you sure that's a good idea? You know, like, are you sure that you need to get involved in this? It sounds like this is something that he could learn a lesson from on his own or yeah, that's just a kind of our natural, our natural tendency to do that. And so, yeah, I I think it's good to just bring uh, awareness. and, And that's, I guess what I'm hoping that will happen through people listening to this podcast is bringing awareness and recognizing when that's coming up for them in their mm-hmm. lives and questioning, is that, is that the right thing is just because yeah. that's the way that it's always done. Yeah. And it's interesting that the dynamics pivot, if it's a boy or a girl. So, right. you know, when a, when a, when a mom sees her child hurt, she hurts. There's like, mm-hmm. it's like our nervous system is connected. When you hurt, okay. I hurt. Um, when a dad sees his son hurt, he becomes proud of his ability to handle that hurt and to overcome that hurt. And he wants him to conquer that hurt. When his daughter hurts, he wants to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many dynamics at play here. There really are. And that is so good, Jim. And um, such a healthy shift in perspective for me. And I'm sure that it will be for others also. It's really helpful for me to think about the difference between supporting my child and disabling them. Uh uh I definitely want all my children, whether they're grown or still growing up to feel competent in themselves and to be in charge Uh of their own inner self-mastery, because I know that that's the only way that they will truly thrive in life. That's great. And that's another way of saying, you know, am I building their self-confidence or not? Is what I'm about to do going to make them more confident in themselves? That's a great gauge because that's what you just said. I want to make my kids competent and fully functional adults and overcomers. It's a great guide. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, that's another good question to ask yourself. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for being here today for people who want to hear more from you and connect with you and what you're doing. How can they find you? Um, probably the best way is either at uh, my Instagram, Jim Lad one or at uh, my son and I did a podcast for a long time, three years worth of episodes. And that's at a website called jimandjohn.com, no H in the John. And we have some blogs there. We have podcasts there. I think about 150 episodes or so. And, um, and we still uh, put some things on there occasionally. Um, and then the church website, evergreenpnw.com would be the third way. Great. We'll have links, uh, to all of those below in the show notes also. And 
I cannot speak enough about the um, upstream podcast, which you did with your son um, that you talked about, you could find on uh, Jim and John, no H in the john.com. So much great information there and um, just thought provoking material and a great resource to just continually challenge the way that we're thinking about things and to realign ourselves with what really matters. So And that was so good. And I just know that it's going to be such a blessing, Jim. I'm, I, as we're having these conversations, I can think of, there's just different people that were coming through my mind, you know, throughout the whole thing. And, and I know how much, how much this is going to mean to them. And I just appreciate you so much for the role that you played in my journey and strengthening me and, and now allowing me to, to be able to, um, share that same um, that same information and that same feedback that you gave me to other people. And I just know that it's going to bless them too. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Angie. I'm so stinking proud of you. Thank you. Okay, friends. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Thanks so much for listening to Unyielding. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. If you did, could you show some love to this community of mamas by leaving a review and subscribing? You know how lonely this journey can be. And when you leave positive reviews and subscribe, it makes a big difference in helping other struggling moms out there find us. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website. The link will always be in the show notes below, where you can access an ever-growing library of resources, like a list of local and national resources that may be helpful, a page entirely devoted to frequently asked questions, as well as our blogs that cover a variety of topics. When you visit the page, remember to subscribe so you're added to our monthly newsletter designed to encourage and educate you throughout this process and beyond. You also receive access to our closed Facebook group community, where we break down this podcast even deeper. Just a reminder, our closed group is a small group of parents just like you that understands what it's like to have a child going through the juvenile justice system. Take advantage of this opportunity to be part of a safe space where families can come together to talk about their struggles, help answer questions, and provide judgment-free encouragement. You can also find our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, where we post five days a week, posts designed to help keep you fighting. Remember, family is like life. It's a fight for territory, and once you stop fighting for what you want, what you don't want will automatically take over. Until next week, friends, remember we are stronger together.